I want to speak today concerning a question that we all ask it sometimes, maybe out loud, maybe sometimes we just ponder it, but why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked that question? You know, maybe there's uh, points in time where that, that you know, is, is really in our focus, in our thinking, and it's one of the enduring questions of all time. And, you know, if God is a good God, and, you know, I'm a Christian, and I'm a believer, why do sometimes bad things happen? Or, you know, people that we know to be good Christian people, or, or whatever, why do bad things happen? Uh, to them, it's, it's not fair, it doesn't seem right. And, uh, you know, the truth is that, uh, unfortunate things happen even to people we consider good. And when it does, it can shake our faith, it can rock our boat, and we wonder, you know, is God really a good God after all? You know, is that, is that something that we can, you know, trust? And at the, at the root of that doubt sometimes is an assumption that we all make uh, because as human beings we are kind of hardwired to think and process this way. The assumption is if I or someone else is good, then we deserve better treatment than somebody who's bad or we consider to be bad. And uh, you know, that just is kind of way, isn't that the way that you were uh, raised? If you're raised in a home, you know, you were, if you're a good boy, you'll get a, you know, you'll get dessert. If you're, if you're, if you do bad, then you don't get dessert, right? You know, so there's differentiation in treatment based on our performance, based on how good we are, how maybe not good we are. And, uh, you know, it kind of fits our sense of fairness and entitlement. And, and as I said, you know, we're, we're kind of hardwired to think that there's, you know, this is a right that if I'm good, I deserve better treatment from God, right? And if I'm a Christian, if I believe the Bible, if I follow after, uh, you know, Jesus, then somehow I should be exempt from difficult things in life. And, you know, there's, there's a sense in which that is true. You know, it's like when we practice the things that are uh, told of us in Scripture, when we practice forgiveness and when we practice patience and all the fruit of the Spirit uh, that, uh, you know, produces goodness in us, well, it does exempt us from some things. Uh, for instance, you know, fewer marriages would end in divorce, uh, which is a terrible, um, uh, you know, event that happens in some lives. Uh, but if we would practice, you know, uh, forgiveness and patience and, and uh, long-suffering and all those things, fewer marriages would end in divorce, and we would be spared that. So in a sense, that is true, that, you know, if we, if we live the life of, you know, that's outlined in Scripture, we, we do... Uh, experience fewer hard things in life, but um, the in in the in the biggest picture, uh, we we don't and and we expect this sort of fairness from God, our sense of fairness. And I don't want to go too far off on on this tangent about this, but I, I need to kind of set the background uh, for other things I'm going to say uh, in this message this morning. So um, fairness, uh, I've, I've preached an entire message on the subject of fairness. And, uh, and, you know, if you haven't heard that, let me suffice it to say that fairness is subjective, okay? 
Fairness is, there's no standard for fairness. There's no, there's no, nothing written down that said this is fair and this is not fair, you know. Uh, it, it is something that we just kind of, we know it when we see it, you know. We, when we feel it, when we, you know, it feels right, then we call it fair. Uh, but everyone's sense of fairness is, is different. It's a moving standard, and it's not even the same way twice. Let me show you a passage in Scripture where King Solomon dealt with this question of fairness, all right? Um, you may remember one of the stories, and I'll give you the passage here, 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, so king Solomon is, is newly uh, enthroned. Uh, he's the new king of Israel. He's taken over after his father David. And right off the bat, he is presented with a, with a terrible dilemma. And that is two women approached the king with a problem that they had. They both, both women had babies, infants, about the same time. And here's what was posed to King Solomon. Well, one woman uh, said that, you know, this other woman had her infant, and she, in the night when she was asleep, rolled over and, and suffocated the baby, and he unfortunately died. Well, what that woman did was take her baby, who was no longer alive, and replaced that baby with the other woman's baby. They apparently lived in the same, uh, under the same roof, and uh, took the baby that was still alive as her own and gave the dead baby to the other woman. Well, when the two awoke in the morning, the one woman realized that, hey, this is not my baby. And, and the woman now with the live baby um, claimed that this, this is my baby and the dead baby is yours. And so they brought this problem, this dilemma to King Solomon. And so here's Solomon's response to this. First uh, Kings chapter three, I'm gonna begin at verse 24. It says, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Let me, let me just show you that there, right, okay? That's fair. Is that not fair? You get half, you get half. You both claim the baby is your own, so let's just cut it in half, and you both get half a baby. That's what fairness looks like. So, verse 26, when the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, she said, oh my Lord, uh, give her the, the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. Of course, Solomon here took the evidence of, of what these women uh, had just portrayed before him and said, okay, we know who the real mother is, and that's the one who said, don't kill the baby. And so he awarded the, the whole, if you will, living baby to the, to the mother. Now, what you see there is a difference between two systems, okay? One is fairness. Now, if it was fair, we'd divide the baby in two, you get half, and you get half. But if you do what is just then the living baby goes with the real mother. Do you see a difference there? Okay, so this illustrates how we sometimes uh, get caught up in the false pursuit of fairness, okay? And what we really need to be concerned with is not fairness, but justice. Okay, and we use fairness in our society just hilly-nilly, you know, and, and our, our justice system, now it was named a justice system on purpose, okay? It's supposed to be a justice system. Have you ever heard of, 
of uh, decisions uh, that are made in our courts that are based on fairness, well, it's not fair. You know, if, if they did this and the law says this, but it's not fair, so we're going to give them a different outcome than what the law demands. So our justice system becomes a fairness system, and that's subjective. And uh, where the law says, you know, here's the law, and here is, you know, the, the penalty or the reward based on this law. So if you do this, the law says this outcome is what should happen. Um, that's justice. It's written down. It's, uh, it doesn't change. It's not based on any variable. Uh, it doesn't uh, differentiate between who, you know, breaks the law or doesn't break the law. It just is the law. Now, fairness takes all those things into consideration and depends on, well, you know, what color of skin do you have or, or how old are you or what gender are you or all of those things. And then it reinterprets the law to be fair to all of these considerations. So God, let me say this, God is not fair and God will never be fair and God uh, doesn't even consider fairness a virtue. Okay, you might be mad at me for saying that, but I will say this, is that God is not fair, but he is just, okay? And, and the two are not the same. They are not the same at all. And so all, I say all this, I take the time to explain this this morning, uh, because we embrace the fairness system. But, you know, the problem is your sense of fairness is different than mine. And my sense of fairness is different than yours. And we get into a lot of dividedness and, and arguments based on that. And, uh, and so just a little perspective on, you know, you can apply that wherever you want, but as it applies to our message today, why do bad things happen to good people? And what we find ourselves often doing is stomping our foot when we talk to God and saying, that's not fair. Maybe a young person loses their life far too early. It's a, it, it grates against our sense of fairness. And, uh, you know, it's not fair, you know, that you know, some people who are bad live much longer. Uh, some people that are good, their lives end much earlier. And we just, we rage and we say, God, that's not fair. And it's very personal and very, uh, makes us angry at times. But it's based on a false assumption that life should be fair. Um, if nobody has delivered the message to you yet, let me just tell you right now, life is not fair. <laughs> life will never be fair. And the more we pursue fairness, the more divided and angry we will become because it is an elusive target. We will never reach it. We will never be able to apprehend the, the ideal of fairness. Why? Because it's different for every, every person. Uh, justice, on the other hand, can be pursued, can be achieved. And uh, that's when law, just law, is written and we abide by it and, and the results of what that law says. God operates a system of justice and his law is the word of God, okay? That's why the word of God is so absolutely important for us to know. Because God is not going to judge us based on, you know, a fairness system, you know, because I think every one of us, no matter how heinous a crime we might commit, we can justify ourselves as being a good person uh, before God. Well, you know, 
I did this, or I did that, or I think this way, or whatever the case may be. So God is just, and his law is written down in the word of God for us, for us to know. That's why I encourage you, read the Bible. <laughs> read the Bible often. Be in the Bible all the time. I just, I didn't announce this because uh, I was gone, but I just finished my 40th reading of the Bible, okay? You can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> And uh, take you, you know, if you, if you just do a little bit every day, take about a year. And, uh, and so for 40 years, I have read my Bible from cover to cover, and I just encourage you to do the same. It is important for us to know this because God's law is contained in that, and that's what God operates by. And, and that's what we will be judged on. So understand this. Let me, let me move on from here. Uh, God doesn't get involved in being fair. God is just. God is righteous. And sometimes justice and righteousness looks fair, but that is more coincidence, uh, and, and it is never God's objective. So when it comes down to this question about bad things happening to good people, as disappointing as it may sound, good people are not exempt from bad things that happen in the world. Jesus uh, states so much a couple of times in the Gospels. You know, the, the, our pragmatic minds can quickly jump to then the conclusion well, if, if we're not exempt, you know, why, you know, if, if being a Christian or following God or believing in the Bible or whatever, uh, you know, thing that we, we consider, you know, some sort of exemption from bad things, if, if that's not true, if following God or reading the Bible doesn't exempt me from problems in life or bad things happening to me, then why? Why should I be a Christian? Why should I read the Bible? Why should I do those things? You know, it, it, we just think that somehow I should be able to earn, you know, these exemptions from difficult and hard things in life. But we live a righteous life, and we follow the Lord, and we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, because that is what is commanded of us in Scripture, and the benefit of that is that we live perhaps with less negative consequences in our own actions than when we live selfishly. But the real point is the forgiveness of our sin. And based on the forgiveness of our sin, we inherit eternal life. It's not about this life, even though this is the one, only one that we know, the only one that we've ever lived. It's really not about this life, it's about the next and all that God has for us. So let's look at the situation we find ourselves in here. The first point here I want to make clear is that we live in a broken world, and it will never in, in, uh, you know, in our efforts become not broken. It is permanently broken. It's not what God intended for us in the beginning. God created us. He designed us Here's, here's the real problem, is that God designed us to live in a perfect world. He did create a perfect world. And we read of that in the opening chapters of Genesis, okay? The Garden of Eden and the life of the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, they lived in the garden. That was the world that God created, okay? And then, of course, we know that um, sin entered the world and everything, everything, which means everything, okay, <laughs> became broken, all right? And everything has been affected by sin. It's not what God intended for us. Even though we're designed for a perfect world, we no longer live in a perfect world, and that's the frustration of what we uh, feel. And that's why, you know, we think, well, you know, we should deserve better than what we have. And, uh, and so we uh, have this tension, and we fight this battle 
between these two things. If I can uh, maybe picture it this way, uh, th this is probably a man illustration, and I'm sorry if, you're, if you don't relate to cars and engines and that sort of thing, but you know, in a car engine, there, there's a sealed um, environment there, and inside the engine, there's oil. And oil makes everything run, okay? If you don't have oil in your engine, your car doesn't run very long. Isn't that true? All right, so always check your oil before you go on a trip. Make sure there's oil in there. Change it once in a while. Um, but the, the problem is, is if that oil in that engine becomes contaminated in some way, some foreign matter or, or you know, fluid or, or a debris or, you know, sand, if you will, gets inside that engine, then the engine fails. The engine breaks. And essentially, that's kind of, you know, God created this, this world in which, you know, we, we live, and in it was tranquility and safety and harmony and all of those things. And then sin entered it and contaminated the environment. And that's why we experience the problems and difficulties that we do in this life. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So we are all broken, or in the process of breaking, if you will, um, because sin has entered the environment and has corrupted the entire environment in which we live. You know, um, uh, I, I've said this many times, you know, in Alaska, you know, we, we just uh, got some company yesterday and, and the first, first trip to Alaska, and man, it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's so different than, you know, where we live. And and, uh, and I just think, yeah, it is, you know, it's all those things. But you know what, you, as wonderful and beautiful as it is, you're going to be sitting out there trying to catch a fish, right? And you're going to hear, right, you know? You're going you're gonna to get assaulted by, you know, biting insects of one sort or another. And, and you know, that's not the world that God created. <laughs> There's even signs in the midst of paradise that we still live in a broken world. Um, you know, and other things that have things like teeth and all that we have to be aware of. Um, because this world has, has been compromised. The environment that, of, of the earth has been uh, broken. So again, we're not exempt from this broken world. Uh, Luke chapter 13, this is where Jesus, I'm gonna read two passages of scripture, one longer, one shorter, where Jesus affirms this whole thing that we're not exempt from the broken world. Luke chapter 13, verses one through five, it says, there were present at that season some who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Jesus is saying, it's, you know, people die, these terrible things that happen to people. It's not because they were worse than other people necessarily. Uh, it's uh, part of this broken world we, we live in. Here Jesus says it in, a, in another way in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. It says, 
he's speaking to his disciples here, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What is Jesus saying in that statement? Even if you're evil, the sun's still going to rise. And it's going to, you know, give warmth and and, uh, light to whether you're evil or whether you're good. And likewise, you know, the rain is going to fall on people who are evil as well as people who are good. It's just the world that we live in. And uh, we think, you know, this is unfair. Evil people shouldn't get the sun to rise on them. You know, and, and just people shouldn't, shouldn't, you know, suffer the rain uh, to fall on them. So, you know, we, these are the kinds of things where we say, you know, this is unfair. And God should just punish all the sinners and make life easy for the good people. If you could vote on that this morning, would you vote for that? Yes, I'm a good person. So, therefore, I should get the good things, and those guys over there should get the bad things. We'd all vote for that, because we all consider ourselves good, right? So the question is, when do we want this to happen? <laughs> Before or after we gave a heart to Christ? If you say after, you know, well, now that, you know, I've given my life to Christ, now that I believe in God, now that, you know, I've repented of my sin, it's okay, God, you can put the bad things on the bad people and the good things on me, you know, because now I've given my heart to Christ. But what if somebody had said that before you came to Christ? What if somebody had that power of, to make it fair and uh, you had not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord. Maybe it wouldn't seem like such a good idea. (laughs) They could close the gate, if you will, and you're still on the outside. But now that we're inside the gate, we think, yeah, after all, it's a good idea. So we, we still wrestle with this idea that somehow, if I'm good, then, uh, then I should get better treatment. It might hurt your feelings a little bit to hear about God's problem with this. You know, what does God do? Do you think, you know, as father, I want good things to happen to my children. Why? Because they're my children. I don't want bad things to happen to my children. Even more so, my grandchildren don't want bad things to happen to them. But God has this problem. And it might hurt our feelings a little bit to find this out, that God loves evil people as much as he loves you. That's not fair, right? God should love me more because I'm not a bad person. But the problem is, God's problem, is that he loves evil people as much as he loves you. And that's why God doesn't create this sort of difference, you know, and and evil people get bad things and good people get good things. He, uh, He does not love us more just because we're saved. He loves the worst sinners as much as he loves us. And that is just, it might not be fair, but it is just. Second Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't mistake me by what I just said. God loves you. He does love you. He loves you more than we even can comprehend. God loves us, and he gave Jesus to die on the cross for us, not because we were good, but because he loved us. He didn't send Jesus to say, you know what, there's a really good person down there, why don't you go die for them, shed your blood for them, Uh, because they're really good, and they deserve to be saved. It's not God's process. Jesus died for all, 
good, bad, the ugly, the beautiful, doesn't matter. Sent his son Jesus to die for our sin and uh, wasn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we continue to live in this broken world that's raining on the just and the unjust, and that will be true until Jesus comes again for his church. So understand this. When we, when we have these outrages and we think about the unfairness of life and all of this, what is that? Why are we so hardened to that, you know, to, to that thought process and, and that opinion? Well, what is really manifesting it's manifesting all the time, but sometimes we feel it more keenly, uh, is this inner sense of longing for a redeemed world. Why? Because we were created for a world that, that was perfect and, and beautiful and safe and, uh, and wonderful in, in every sense of the world that was not contaminated by sin. You know, we long for that. We yearn for that. And nothing will ever take that yearning away from us. And like I said, we feel it more keenly at some times than other times. And, uh, and so we, we try to sometimes even correct, you know, this broken world in which we're living in. And, and we certainly can. If, if we would all live just lives, <laughs> if, if we would all obey in everything, um, then life would certainly be much better for us, but it wouldn't even stop, you know, bad things from happening. Um, we were born with an innate knowledge of a higher level of existence. When God creates us inside of us, in our spirit being, because uh, we believe that, that we aren't just bodies walking around. We are, we are a spirit being housed in a body. That spirit comes from God. God places it in us. It's who we are. And, uh, and, and in, in that creating that spirit within us, wrapped up into that DNA or RNA or whatever's in there, is this innate knowledge that we were created for something much better than what we are presently experiencing. Why does nobody have to teach us that pain is bad? Why does nobody have to say, here, Put your thumb over here, whack it with a hammer, and say, you know what, that's bad. Nobody has to teach us that. Why? Because we just know it. It's just already in there. Or, you know, if we have a funeral and there's a young person whose life has passed, nobody has to educate us on, you know what, this is not a good thing. No, why? We already know that. We innately know that. Nobody has to tell us that. It's not written down anywhere because we just all know that. That's part of our, our makeup. It's part of our spirit. We groan inwardly with the sorrow of the difference between our experience in life, our broken experience in life, and what we know it should actually be. The, the tension between those two things, what we know life should be for us, what we long for, and what it actually is, that tension in the middle is what causes us to, at times, groan. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. I want to read these verses. This is what Paul, Paul is talking about his own struggle with the dissonance between those two uh, points of knowledge. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and Paul knew sufferings, okay? He knew bad things, even though he was a good, a good person, if you will. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Okay? 
So he's, he just laid it out there. Sufferings is this position. Glory is the one that we know is out there. And, and in between, he says, we, we can't compare this with that. For the earnest expectation of the creation, you and I are part of the creation, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility. In other words, it, it was corrupted. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. But uh, the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Okay? So again, corruption, this thing that... Paul calls the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. How many doesn't groan sometimes when you realize your body isn't what it used to be? right? <laughs> I was with my, my grandsons just a week ago, and uh, man, their favorite thing is, you know, Papa, Papa, chase us, try to catch us. You know, so here's this, you know, old fat man chasing these little kids around the yard. And I tell you what, they can go on and on and on and on. Me? Not so much. <laughs> And when I'm sitting there gasping for breath and ready to go sit down, he's like, Papa, Papa, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, I groan. <laughs> I groan. <laughs> and I just think, oh, Jesus, come back. <laughs> and that's the tension that we live in. You know, those little boys, they have like zero body fat, you know. <laughs> running around, boundless energy, you know. Uh, I was once that, but now I'm not that anymore. And it's because of this brokenness of the world. You know, the older we get, the less things that work <laughs> in us, right? Sometimes we utter prayers of longing, sometimes in frustration, sometimes in anger. Jesus, come now and rescue me from all this pain, let me end with a good word for you here today. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Those prayers will be answered, but not on the basis of what's fair or not fair, but based on the justice of God, where evil will be judged and righteousness will be rewarded. And God will restore everything to what he originally created. God has a rescue plan. Let me just read a few scriptures to close this out this morning. 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Everything that is broken, everything that is corrupt, everything that has been compromised will be burned up. 2 Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what's coming. That's the good news. That's why we, we groan here in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our brokenness, 
we groan because we long for that new heavens, new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isaiah 25, 8, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. That's his word, that's the law of God and God is just. Revelation 21, 4. You just have to read this if you're having a down day. You just have to turn to Revelation 21, 4. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's what you and I are waiting for. It won't happen in this life, but it will happen in the life to come. And that's why we need to be ready for Jesus. That's why we ask God to forgive us of our sin so that we can be ready for when God restores this world that has been marred and such ugly things have happened in it. All that's going away. And the original plan, the original idea will be ours forever and ever. And that is our hope. And that is our reason for living in the way that would please God. Our three ABCs for accepting Christ and inviting him into our heart, into our life, really explains all this in a nutshell, doesn't it? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We've all broken the world. We've all experienced rebellion against the law of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And, and doesn't it make sense now? Make a little bit more sense? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's hope. It's not just brokenness, there's hope. How do we get there? Well, admitting we're sinners is first. Second is believing that what God is going to do. Romans 10.10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you believe this? Do you believe what I've spoken to? Do you believe what I've read from the Word of God this morning? It's one more step, and that is finally to confess. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. So why do bad things happen to good people? Tough question. We'd like it to be a little more fair at times, wouldn't we? We don't have to travel the path of brokenness and, and sorrow by some of our own choices. And God directs us in a different way. Nonetheless, we're going to experience brokenness and suffering and pain in this life based on whether we're, we're teacher's pet or, or whether we're a terrible person. But we do know what's coming, and that's what we're ready for. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you want to, we're going to pray a prayer and just say, Jesus, that's what I want. I want salvation. I want that hope of eternal life. I want that hope of the world to come. And I want to be there when it happens. Heavenly Father, so we bow our heads at the close of this service. We just ask, Lord, for patience, a little more understanding. And Lord, in those very painful moments in life that break our hearts or cause us anger and frustration when life is not fair, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand why a little more. But that would, instead of shaking our fist at a God who is not fair, we would appeal to the justice of God to come and right every wrong and to reward all that is good. 
And Lord, we long for that day. We groan within ourselves, some days more than others. But some days, Lord, we feel it keenly, and we just say, Jesus, would you just come? And Lord, we would recognize that that yearning within us was placed there by you so that we would always be directed back to you in the most painful moments of our lives. And Lord, I pray for anyone who might be here today who has never accepted you as their Savior, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would admit that they're sinners. Lord, that if they found belief, if they found faith, that what you say is real, what you say is true. Lord, that even now they would say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin and show me a better way, a better hope, and long for the justice of God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.